Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from independent media consultant David Smith, the former senior vice president and managing director of 20th Century Fox Television Distribution, and Mark Berman, creator and editor-in-chief of Programming Insider, about how the pandemic has impacted the US studio system and the current fall season. David Smith is an independent media consultant who was previously Senior Vice President and Managing Director of 20th Century Fox Television Distribution and before that Head of Acquisitions at Sky One. He spoke with Ed Waller about how the US studio system has been impacted by the coronavirus pandemic, the short and long-term changes the situation has affected, both on the domestic and international marketplace, as in-house streamers proliferate and attitudes towards popular cop shows change in light of the resurgent Black Lives Matter movement. 2020 has been a, a year of great change in the media and nowhere more so than in the US. I think and some of those changes are going to be permanent and some of them are, are temporary. Let's deal with the temporary ones, I think, first. You know, the, the obviously the shutdown to production is uh, is reopening gradually at first. And I think over time that's, that's going to increase. So those TV programs, movies will, of course, go back into production over the course of the next few months. Schedules will be replenished advertising dollars will flow back into the networks but i'm not quite sure if they're going to flow in quite the same way i quite i'm not quite sure if the programs are going to look quite the same you know our lives will have been changed by the events of the past six months um and and i think in 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 many ways we, we aren't going to go back to the way that we were uh, doing things before covid has, has accelerated change and amplified changes that were already happening and not just in media but but in other industries as well and so I think for the US television business, it is tilted much, much more quickly and more decidedly towards direct consumer. Hollywood studios are moving away from being production and distribution entities to being consumer and data companies. And a lot of that change is uh, is painful for individuals, but it is underway in clear way. So I think, I think um, 2020 and, and COVID, certainly those changes are, are going to be, many of them, permanent. So we'll, we'll see how those unfold. What about the uh, impact on the traditional TV broadcast landscape, such as pilot season, full season, mid-season, mm-hmm. all the, the production that associates around that? Are they going to be go by the wayside or are they going to just have a little blip and return next season? What, what, what do you think? I think for upfronts, I can, I can imagine upfronts returning in a normal Normal uh, manner next year. Obviously disrupted this year, and a whole advertising cycle has been changed. I think that will probably revert back to the norm next year. Pilot season, I'm not so sure. I think it, when you look at um, when you look at the full schedules, really pretty much until November, there are very very few scripted new series in those schedules, and a huge amount of unscripted content that, that's going to air some of that content's going to work some of that's going to stick around so i can i can imagine that scripted and scripted is, has, has been a little bit challenging for networks in the previous few years anyway i can imagine those challenges remaining i can imagine quite a lot of the unscripted content remaining in place and so whether that involves a return to the same pilot season rhythm and volumes going forward i'm 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 less certain we saw a lot of changes to the way that networks particularly the broadcast networks get their shows previously as we've seen they would have commissioned a whole load of pilots and selected those pilots but i think we saw a lot of networks taking shows from summer and bringing them into fall we saw some networks just cherry picking shows from their own svod 
partners, their own escort services, uh, and even shopping further afield. Tell us a little bit about, about that and whether that's a permanent or temporary trend. Necessity is the mother of invention. And we've seen decisions taken that, that would be quite surprising, I think, in, in other years. So, you know, whether that's broadcast networks taking second windows on content such as Fox's LA's Finest or CBS's Manhunt or Fox again with Cosmos. I think I think those are decisions that that I think um, I, I would have I wouldn't have expected to have seen a year or two ago. I think acquiring content from uh, international. Yes, that's been done a little bit in the past. The Listener and, and so on and, and Coroner this year is another example. Transplant is another one. I think Dead Pixels w- was a surprise and I think that's an outlier. I think that being a pickup for the CW and initially earmarked for the full schedule. Yes, that's very surprising. It was then moved into the summer. I don't imagine that that is going to be the harbinger of many more short order um, British comedies appearing on, on major US networks. I, I don't think it, it's the beginning of a new trend. But certainly international co-productions and a lot of Canadian content, I can see those sorts of things happening with a bit more regularity. It's interesting that Dead Pixels, having been earmarked for the fall, is instead going to be replaced in the fall by Devils, which is another so I can see decisions like that being taken, and certainly in, in areas that are away from away from the full schedule. So summertime, I think it's it's room to experiment. And I think you'll see a lot of those experiments taking this year. And some, some of them are going to be successful, and, and we'll see those repeated. So you know, is it does it mark a sea change? Probably not, but the change will be gradual, and some of the changes that have been enforced this year will be successful. The role of Canada seems to be getting a growing in importance. Not just as a as a place to just grab things when need arises, but uh, in terms of runaway productions, uh, because of their management of, of COVID might have been a little bit better. Obviously, drama imports, but also as a co-production partner going forward, when a lot of the networks are going to be much more risk averse. Are we seeing a sort of a growth in the role of Canada as a, as a partner for American networks? I think we're seeing, we'll probably see a growth in Canada in importance for international co-production as well. If you accept that many of the US studios are, are going to supply programming more more often for their own direct consumer services, both inside the United States and outside, then it, it feels like Canada is an obvious good fit for international co-production to provide content production services for shows where, where perhaps a US co-production partner might not be available or less willing to enter into those sorts of deals tomorrow. So yeah, I think I think it, I think it is really an important time for Canada. And, and uh, you know, they did manage the COVID crisis seemingly at the moment much, much better than the US. The issue that you just mentioned about sort of that uh, ring fencing of, of product by the studios to, to feed their own direct-to-consumer propositions. Let's dwell on that a little bit. What's that going to mean for the sort of vertical integration within the states and the, and the whole syndication of content to not just local broadcast stations, but, you know, going off cable into other, other platforms? Uh, is that going to end? But also internationally, because obviously there's a whole load of networks around the world that rely on deals with studios to take shows are they all going to now be left left out of that and all those products are going to be kept within whether it's hbo max or disney plus or all the new you know peacock all those kinds of services and are they does that provide a, a threat or an opportunity for the international market i think it, i think you, you'll see a lot of changes as a result of more shows and more content being made available down a, a vertical silo and content sales distribution and acquisition is is a 
supply and demand balance. And, you know, we saw at the start of COVID that as soon as production was threatened and was being shut down, that led to a whole load of slots opening up. And so demand increased for content, for acquired content dramatically. And pricing, you know, uh, spikes were, were seen as a result of that. I think that's probably going to settle down. And I, I think because equilibrium is will be achieved again. But the more big ticket US content that flows down its own pathway um, through owned and operated networks in the United States, through owned and operated consumer services in the US and abroad, obviously that's going to create a shortage of content that's able to be acquired elsewhere around the world. I think that, you know, similar to the previous point, necessity is the, is the mother of invention. And I think that is going to mean that you're going to see interest for content that's available to acquire produced in markets outside of the US. And so I think that, again, Canada, I think I think, uh, I think, think other English-speaking uh, territories are, are, are going to be at the forefront of that, uh, the UK, Australia, and so on, but quite possibly other languages as well. I think it's a really fascinating time for content distribution. And I think the more diversified a company is in terms of not only the, the genres that, that it has in, in, in its armory, but also the number of different languages, then just increase the number of touch points or potential touch points that you have with audiences. I think that's probably a good thing. So you will see, I think, a shift in demand perhaps away from core US scripted, perhaps to, towards a, a more general internationalist view. Do you think that um, looking at it from, a, I guess, a sort of position of, of soft power, you know, cultural issues, if, if American shows are going to be kept in these vertical silos, as you, as you suggest, does that mean that the relevance of American culture is going to change and it's going to create opportunities for other cultures to voice themselves on the international market? I mean, we've obviously seen European drama booming. We've seen Korean, Turkish, loads of other dramas getting as much impact. Are we getting into a sort of, are we seeing the, the demise of American cultural dominance? I don't think I'd put it quite as strongly as that. I'm not sure that we're, we're seeing that uh, America retreating from the world in terms of its cultural voice. What I do think is that the more content that is flowing through a direct-to-consumer pathway, um, the more likely, I think, a, a, a services or decisions are likely to be taken that's in the interests of subscribers that have access. And if you're an American company, the vast majority of your subscribers are inside the United States, then your content is probably going to become a lot more US-centric and US-focused than it will. And that's simply because of the audience that you're addressing. Conversely, if you, if you are a business like Netflix and the vast majority of the new subscribers that they are appealing to are outside the United States, you're going to see an accent placed on content that's non-US centric. And I think that's that's going to apply to other services, whether they be Disney or HBO Max or Peacock. Over time, initially, I, I anticipate that they're going to be quite US centric in, in their appeal. But if they're successful and as they begin to see that international expansion in terms of subscriber growth is where the game is at, then perhaps they'll be a bit more internationalist at that time. What I think it does mean is that in the short term, if you're a broadcaster or a pay TV operator or an SVOD service that's non-US based, you're probably looking right now for partnerships that you can set up to, to ensure that your pipelines are going to keep flowing with content and you're, and you're, you're already putting in place partnerships with 
producers and distributors that are non-US based. A real opportunity for producers outside the US to uh, to get a slice of the market. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Just on the point that you mentioned about data earlier, as these big US studios shift from being a sort of a supplier of content to um, you know third party networks and platforms to doing it directly themselves, what does that mean for their relationships around the world, their reliance on data, their consumer facing propositions? Because it's, it's a relatively new world for the, for these guys, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I mean, I think it's it's funny thing because television content, the way of production and distribution, those two functions, production and distribution, were actually always pretty separate. And even though, you know, in, in inside big production distribution companies, people formed expert relationships between one discipline and the other, there was still nonetheless quite a clear divide between the two. Production produced and distribution distributed, and they were very separate pursuits that, that didn't didn't have a great deal of crossover. When you become a data company, uh, those two processes become one because one because your your data informs production in a much much more clear and obvious way so so i think over time that is what is what is what will happen in in hollywood as well it will become a little bit more like netflix in the sense that the content that they produce will be a lot more directly influenced by the data uh, that they receive from their own director consumer streaming services so i think it's that is the transition that's taking place and that's why it's it's a you know it's, it's a difficult journey i think from one to the other and i think we're seeing some of the evidence of that right now on this just continuing with this trend for a minute the i mean in recent years we've seen um, the the svod companies sort of doing a bit of a land grab on, on talent and Uber producers uh, getting sort of jumping, you know, being poached by one platform from a different cable network. As all the studios get into that same world, do you think, do you foresee a, a sort of a, 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 an expansion of that trend and, and uh, the producers with the great ideas will have even more clout because they're they're in a sort of seller's market? Yeah, I think they will be in a seller's market, but I think, but only up to a point. I think that the the looming challenge that direct-to-consumer services have is how do they keep making content which makes them famous? How do they keep making famous content? Content becomes famous because it has mass appeal, because it's seen by large numbers of people at the same time, such that they can talk about it and share and share that experience. When we go to the movies, sometimes we go to the movies before deciding which movie we're going to see, because we enjoy being part of a community that's sharing something. And I'm not suggesting that that means that linear television has to be the way that, that content can be enjoyed that way. Far from it. It's just that I think that content has currency when it has wide appeal. And one of the difficulties of direct-to-consumer services is because they're trying to appeal to lots of different audiences simultaneously, commissioning a huge amount of content, making that content available. It doesn't always find the audience that perhaps they might hope it would. And there are producers out there whose quotes you can search saying that if you make a show for Netflix, it's got to find its audience inside the first week or it won't even touch the sides on its way down. And so I think that one of the tricks to master will be how to ensure for producers and to be attractive to producers, your service is going to be the one where it can find an audience and your show is going to be famous and you're going to be famous as a result. That, that I think, is, is something I think that needs work. Another trend, another thing that happened this year is obviously uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. One of the consequences is the sort of reassessment of uh, cop shows in America, very much driven by BLM. Uh, we've seen shows cancelled uh, 
you know, we've seen people not pitching as many. Tell us what the consequences of that reassessment of cop shows might be for the domestic market, because cop shows obviously drive a lot of networks and the whole syndication business and things like that, but also on the international side of things as well. Firstly, I think look, looking at the basic construct of cop shows, and I think I'm sure I'm not alone in, in, in not having paid enough attention to how it is that these shows are constructed. It just seems natural that a good cop would break the rules in order to achieve an outcome inside a show. And I think that you know, if you repeat that message over and over again, it becomes quite clear how, it, how easy it would be for rule breaking to be an accepted part of, of, a, of a job. I think that it, it's pretty clear that, that that needs to change. The cancellation of cops, I think, is, is one of the more obvious examples. But I think it would be interesting to see what would happen if writers' rooms were more diverse. I think that that would be a a really interesting first change. I think secondly, I think it would be interesting to see what would happen if in response to a dramatic incident, if if instead if it was a different first responder who showed up to a scene rather than necessarily a cop with a gun. I think that provides perhaps opportunities for production, a pathway forward to turn a different course. I I think those, I'm sure, those directions are going to be taken. What does it mean for international? I think the good news is that content is compelling or it is not compelling for many, many reasons. And it doesn't have to be because they're cop shows or crime shows or medical dramas or because the protagonists are white or black. Good drama is good drama. And I think as long as drama is compelling, as long as characters are sympathetic or that there are people that you can root for inside of shows, I think the composition of how that's put together is really secondary. I think for international going forward, I think that as long as the content is compelling, I don't see any reason why there should be any change in demand for content. But nor do I see a huge reason right now why internationally, why shows that might be problematic now in the US won't still be run in, uh, in, in schedules around. A lot of the cop shows, not just cop shows, but dramas generally, in recent years from America have been seen as a little bit too American, or they're addressing issues which are sort of kind of unique to America. And that has driven a lot of Europeans to produce their own cop shows, you know, RTL and TF1 being a good example of them producing the kind of procedurals that they weren't necessarily getting from America anymore. Do you think that side of things might grow? You know, other countries doing it for themselves, as it were? Yeah, well, I, 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 but yeah, I completely agree, but I think it's a separate issue, and I think that was happening already. I think that there, there were increasing signs of a more domestic-centric way of doing things in countries right around the world. And because production has been increasing uh, everywhere, there's been an opportunity for everyone to to say their, their own piece about their own culture. So I think I think that was happening anyway. And I, I don't imagine it's going to slow down, but I do think that they're separate issues. What I think is feels clear is that 2021 is going to be a very different year to 2020. And I I do think that there are going to be opportunities for production companies and distribution companies right around the world to spread their wings and to, and to take advantage of a completely different landscape. I think the US will open up and become a lot more open to uh, content from right around the world. I mean, whether that be by co-production or or by acquisition, some of, because some of the changes that we're seeing right now will last. So I think I think that's really good news for everyone. I think, I think the key thing is is to get back into production and to get those schedules operating at full speed again. And then I think that we can probably see what changes have really left their mark after COVID. I think it's still a little bit early to say exactly what's going to happen and what's not. But I do think that overall, the general direction of travel is towards openness. 
um, and is towards embracing different cultures, different voices. And, and I think that, I think that's that's generally true of, of everywhere uh, around the world. So I think that I think that's I think that means good. It's good news if you are in in the business of storytelling. David Smith. Mark Berman is the creator and editor-in-chief of Programming Insider, a widely recognised authority on the US network, cable, digital and syndication markets. He spoke with Ed Waller about how the absence of this year's pilot season and boom in streaming have accelerated trends that were already present in the industry, what these mean on the global stage and why the pandemic has opened up opportunities for more international and diverse programming. This has been the obviously the strangest year I've ever seen in my career. I don't think any of us will ever see a year like this again. You know, what ultimately happened was when the pandemic hit in March, suddenly we were all home. We were all quarantined. You had more people watching television. So the hub levels were up, households using television. And the question was, was there going to be enough content to satisfy everyone? And yes, there was a lot of content because we're in an era of peak TV. So there there are over 500 scripted series this year alone vying for an audience. There was a ton of stuff to watch. Of course, the months progressed. Production was shut down. And the question is, what was going to happen? You know, particularly with the fall season coming, were we going to have a fall season? Now, production is slowly, very slowly starting up again. That doesn't mean that the normal primetime series, the scripted shows, are in production yet because they're not. Are we going to have a fall season? The answer to the question is yes and no. We'll have a fall season, but it's not a regular season. And basically what you'll be seeing is whatever is available and it's a band-aid schedule across the board because the broadcasters are looking for ways to fill the hours without having their scripted programming ready. So it's a very strange occurrence here, Ed. Very odd. Do you want to just talk us through each of the networks, Mark? Because obviously each schedule is going to be different with different uh, gaps. Well, you know, it's a very strange thing, Ed, because normally in, in May we have Upfront Week, which is the second week of May. And the five broadcast networks here, that's ABC. NBC, CBS, NBC, Fox, and the CW, they present their lineups. And that, and that's, in addition, there's also, of course, you know, the streamers, cable nets, everybody was, you know, hawking what they would have normally. So ultimately, um, the CW was the only one of the five networks that said, we're going to start our season in January. ABC didn't say anything. They didn't say when they were starting. And then CBS, NBC, and Fox said, we're starting our season in September. But of course, what they announced doesn't mean we're going to see it. Now, CBS announced it's really just a schedule of what we could find to fill the hours. So ultimately, right now, we have Big Brother, which is three hours a week, which started late, and it's going to run until the end of October. We've never had that in a full season. We have Love Island that just came back. That's going to populate three or four hours a week. So already on CBS, you're going to have seven hours of Big Brother and, and Love Island or whatever it is. And then, you know, they're bringing back Undercover Boss. Um, Survivor's not going to be ready. So we have a season of The Amazing Race, which was held over from last year. We have a sitcom called One Day at a Time that normally would be running on pop TV. We have 60 Minutes, of course. We have a new edition of 48 Hours. They have a non-scripted version of FBI. So realistically, what you're seeing on CBS, it's it's nothing that would have been normal. And then, of course, there'll be a lot of repeats. So for fans, let's say, of NCIS, of, you know, FBI, you know, those shows, they're not going to be ready in the fall. So my prediction is, with luck, we'll see those again in January. You're not going to have a full season of episodes 
either. So hopefully, if you're a fan of, again, NCIS, or maybe Young Sheldon, or whatever you're a fan of, you maybe you'll get 13 episodes next season. Nobody knows yet. So that's across the board. The five broadcast networks are just finding things to populate the lineups. Now, CBS found a drama on Spectrum Originals that they could air. Um, The CW basically has, you know, they have a new non-scripted series. Um, I believe it's called World's Funniest Animals. They have Masters of Illusion they're going to run on Sunday, which they normally wouldn't have had on in the fall. They're not going to have any of their scripted shows uh, that they normally would have had. But they went and they found some stuff, you know, internationally Canadian. So realistically, the five broadcasters are finding other ways to populate their schedules. On CBS again, they decided, let's take Star Trek Discovery, which is on its streamer, CBS All Access. Let's put it on uh, one day a week. And that's a very good idea. So NBC, they have Peacock now. So they could go to the well and pick out shows, you know, on Peacock. ABC has Disney Plus, so they could go to Disney Plus. And I will say this, the one thing the broadcasters did was they didn't stop. You know, during the pandemic, they said, let's find other ways to do things. So you started seeing all these virtual shows. You started seeing things, you know, the Disney family sing-along, where Disney stars are singing in their bedrooms. (laughs) You know, know, it was a way, how can we fill the airways? We had some fun stuff like, you know, the old sitcom The Nanny did a virtual read, a table read. So we got to see stuff like that. So realistically, this is a fall season of what the networks told you is not happening. It can't. They're not ready. So they're just, and and this is a good thing for Canadian production, for international stuff. There's a lot of good shows out there, as you well are aware of, where you are. So we're going to be seeing more of that here. And I think that's a very good thing, because look at Netflix, for example. They have shows from all over the world that we normally wouldn't see. It's a great idea. Let's do it. Let's go to the well and put stuff on here. But this is very strange here. So taking the sort of the longer view, Mark, do you think this is going to finally put the nail in the coffin of broadcast television and drive more people to OTT services like Disney Plus and Netflix? Or or is it just a temporary thing? Well, here's what happened during the pandemic. There was one clear winner during all of this. Its name is Netflix. I mean, I personally can tell you, I sat here and found a ton of stuff. And everywhere I went was, let's see what Netflix has. Let's see what Netflix has. And then I went to Hulu and, you know, I found some things there. And there's a ton of stuff to watch. So the clear winner during all this was Netflix because they have unlimited pockets. They spend relentlessly. They don't care what they're spending. They have, again, they just have a library that's enormous, whether it's new, whether it's acquired. You know, so Netflix was the clear winner. In terms of is the linear platform, is broadcast dead? The answer is a clear one. No, N-O, it's not ending. And here's why, and I'm going to tell you why right now. If you look at the broadcast ratings for this season, the five broadcast networks on average are just over 23 million viewers, okay? If you compare that to last year, that's an increase of 2%. I haven't seen an increase on a broadcast network overall in years. Now, of course, more people were home, so there was more people watching television. If we didn't have a pandemic, I guess the ratings would have been down maybe four, five, six percent. But broadcast, when you have platforms that are bringing in on average 23 million viewers, that doesn't mean this is going away. It is not going away. And I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. Digital is an extension. You know, every broadcast network has a digital platform. And right 
right now, the priority is populating these streamers with the A-list product. A broadcast network doesn't have the luxury of doing a 10-episode season normally or doing eight episodes or doing six episodes. When you go to a streamer, there's no limitations. Nobody watches over you. You could do whatever you want. You do less episodes. The quality's better. You know, broadcast tends to be more cookie cutter, but it's not going away by any means. If we're having this conversation in 10 years, and let's make a date, we'll do it in 10 years, we'll still be talking about the broadcast networks. What do you think the, the long-term consequences of the fact that since all the studios have got SVOD services now, Peacock, you mentioned Disney+, Plus, you know, HBO Max, and they're sort of taking shows or, or ring-fencing their own shows for those services, what's the impact going to be on, for instance, the domestic syndication market, the international distribution market, all those channels around the world that previously bought those shows, they're not going to be able to get them. What's, what's, what's going to be in the impact of that sort of ring-fencing of, of programming? Well, there's definitely going to be an impact. You know, what's happening is, look, if you're CBS, you're going to produce shows for CBS All Access. If you're ABC, you're going to, you know, Disney+. Plus. And then when you do stuff for the streaming services, one thing you have to remember very importantly, you know, the old model was if you did a broadcast series for a season, you got about 22 episodes. So if you times that by four seasons, you had 88 episodes. And the normal, the rule of thumb was 100 episodes for syndication. When you're doing a streaming show, how many episodes are you getting? You're getting six, you're getting eight, you're maybe getting 10, you know, at max, you'll get 13. So that kind of limits how much can be syndicated. The whole model is completely changing. But something that's a little strange that I found here, this was very odd. You know, Peacock from NBC Universal launched on July 15th, and they announced that they made a deal with CBS, well, I mean, some of the CBS library shows, the Viacom CBS shows, which I thought was strange because they're a competitor. So they're kind of mixing and matching programming. So I think the bottom line is what existed from, you know, in syndication in the old days just doesn't exist anymore. It's just a very different model. So when you're producing something now and you're, you know, a broadcast network, you're also working with your digital platform. And, you know, that's just the way it is. And in terms of syndicating shows, yeah, we still have shows that are syndicated. Shit's Creek, for example. That's going to be starting here in syndication. You could start seeing that in repeats. And that didn't have a broadcast window. That was a whole different model. So it's different, but it's not dead. And it's just changing. But everything now is in-house. And, and if you're a broadcast network, like let's say um, NBC, let's use NBC for an example. Um, one thing they're doing is they have a new Law & Order show coming up on Peacock. So really Realistically, they're taking, you know, their model, their broadcast model, they're understanding what resonates and they're bringing it over to streaming. And they could do a show, a Law & Order on Peacock can be done differently than on NBC because you don't have any, um, you could do whatever you want. But I think they'll stick to the model. I think the networks, you know, are, are very heavily concentrated on streaming right now. That's their baby. And then you have a platform like HBO Max that didn't get off to a great start, you know, so they really have to work on, you know, finding things. It all comes down to the quality of the show. It has to be a good show that people want to watch. It doesn't have to win Emmys. It could be any, it could be Fuller House, you know, with some scre screeching kids uh, and canned laughter. But you have to find stuff that people want to watch. And Netflix has done that amazingly well, amazingly well. They just find things that resonate. So I'm in the middle now. It's interesting. I'll tell you, it's interesting. I found a show that was running on FX called Pose. And I'm at the end of season two. I love it. I just love it. But I'm not watching it on FX. I'm watching it on Netflix. So, you know, in terms of off network, you know, Pose is a show that how many episodes we had, I think, eight in season one. I think there's nine or ten in season two. And it's running on Netflix. So that's that's off, you know, FX. So the whole model's changed. 
this mood that you mentioned about buying in shows from international and even sort of you know co-producing shows with Canada and things like that, which is obviously brought about by the production going on hiatus. Do you think that's something that might become a permanent shift, or will it just be a temporary measure to, to as you say, to plug the gap like they did during the writers' strike all those years ago? Oh, I think it's going to become a permanent shift. I really do. You know, you look at the streaming services now. Here's here's the key to a streaming service to have a successful one. You have to have a very vivid library, okay? The mistake that Apple TV Plus did was they launched without any library. They said, we're going to introduce seven or eight new shows, and throughout the year, we're going to have new shows. That's not enough. It's not enough. Because, again, a streaming show with six, eight, ten episodes, you could sit, you could get through it in one or two sittings. And then suddenly, what do I watch now? So, uh, no, I think there is so much good stuff around the globe, outside of here, that I think this is a permanent thing, whether it's for a streaming service, whether it's for a broadcast network. If I was sitting in a programming chair, I would be looking around the world. Look at a show like Unorthodox, for example. This is an Israeli drama. I had never heard of it. This is months ago when the pandemic started. Like, what do we watch? And I heard about this show and I said, let me watch it. I absolutely was glued, but I only had four episodes. Um, So there's so much good stuff out there. And I remember years ago, I made a few trips to Canada and I spoke at some conferences and I started thinking, wow, there's some really good shows here. So I think this trend is going to grow here. I think it's going to continue. And it's a good thing. Just changing tack slightly. Obviously, since uh, the rise of, of the BLM, the Black Lives Matter movement, there's been a bit of a reassessment of cop shows in media and, and in the popular sort of culture. How's that impacted the networks and obviously the commissioning and the production of traditional cop shows? How's that going to change? Well, first off, I think it was the right decision to make. I think Paramount Network canceling cops and A&E canceling YPD, it was the right decision to make. Now, here's a mistake that A&E made that's classic. And our business, and I want to point it out. Now, you're a network like Annie. You got on the Mac by coming up with some creative shows, you know, doing this, doing that, and little by little, people started to notice. Well, then they come up with a show called Live PD that did very, very well for them because it was a formulaic show with cops and, you know, and bad guys. And that's basically what it was. And then suddenly A&E is running it like multiple times a day. And then they have a spinoff series. So every time you thought of A&E, Live PD, Live PD, Live PD, suddenly there's no Live PD. What does A&E do? It's back to square one for them. I mean, they have some other shows, but it was too much emphasis on Live PD. A show like that is what it is. And it'll bring in numbers. You know, certain types of shows will traditionally do very well. And that did. I mean, Cops on Fox was a huge hit on Saturday night for decades. And it was, it wasn't a quality show. It it was what it was. But I think the lesson to be learned is when you have a hit show, here's what you do. Find your next one, then your next one and your next one. You don't rest on one show and run it half the day. Like for example, True TV. I love Impractical Jokers, but how many times a day are you going to run this thing? It's like a constant, you know, so you have to find more stuff. And there's so much stuff around the globe. I I mean, I wish I can get off this chair and get on a plane and visit these countries and talk about their shows. I'm just very impressed by what's out there. We have some excellent stuff here and you have some great stuff there and this one. So let's utilize it all and, you know, make the best of it. And that's what's happening this fall. You're going to see some stuff that you would not have normally seen. So let's say the pandemic in that sense was a good thing. Not that this is a good thing, but for TV, it's opening our eyes to other stuff around the globe. And I'll just on the cop thing, just a little bit more. The 
I mean, the development of, of traditional procedural cop shows that have kept networks like CBS, you know, alive for ages. Do you think that there'll be fewer of those shows coming into pilot season next year because of the, the way that those kinds of shows are viewed differently now? Yes. You know, given what's happening, you know, in our society uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you're not going to see shows like this. You know, these are very heavily slanted to, you know, the cops. They can't do them anymore. And I don't see that changing anytime soon, which I think for our landscape is a very good thing. And I will tell you this, the one thing that I was very impressed with this season was, I think we're seeing more diversity here. It's a very good thing. We're not where we need to be yet, but we're in the right direction. You have a network like CBS. I give them a lot of credit because they're finally showing the world like it should be shown. That should be the goal of any broadcaster. Show us the way the world really is. You know, so no, you're not going to see these cop shows. These are not coming back anytime soon or potentially anytime ever. Sorry, that's obviously going to have a major impact on the distribution of those shows because internationally those traditional cop procedurals are still very popular and I'm sure they worked really well in, in syndication and in, in off network so what's going to what's going to take their place do you think you're going to have to find other things you know here in the states you put on a, a, a an hour like on a, a, that's going to be a, a murder investigation it tends to get an audience particularly older people seem to like that I think when you get older you like to see murder mysteries I don't know um and 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 it resonates certain form formulaic things work you have a show like an NCIS that works because people recognize it as a beginning, a middle, and an end. Cops worked because it was a formula and there was an audience for it. It doesn't mean something else cannot step in. You know, there is a ton of stuff out there everywhere that you could go in and find something else. You're not going to look, it's not going to be easy to find a franchise like Cops that's been running for like 30 years that has, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes. But, you know, it was cheap to produce it brought in an audience and you know it it was what it was and that was then this is now so to replace it you don't need another cop show you could find something else and that's a good thing because it let's be creative let's you know let's go to the well for something different you know something else that will resonate so that's the way i look at it and adios cops adios live pd we don't want to see I don't want to watch it anymore. After what happened here, I'm not watching those kind of shows anymore. After that horrible incident, no, not interested. Changing tack, just lastly, the unscripted programming uh, in the States, it used to be a big source of, of intellectual property for the rest of the world. Uh, and it now seems that the American networks are buying in a lot more uh, unscripted formats, whether it's Mars Singer or, you know, all those tried and tested formats from around the world. Am I right in thinking there's, there's less original development happening in, in the unscripted entertainment space for them? to then export around the world. Oh, without a doubt. You look at most of the, you know, scripted, you know, non-scripted shows here, they were done somewhere else first. We haven't exactly, you know, introduced anything like this is unbelievable here. You know, it's been done elsewhere. So if something works elsewhere, why not do it here? Why not, you know, test the waters here with that? And a show like The Masked Singer, listen, it's not brain surgery, but it worked elsewhere. So let's try it here. And it's a very big hit for Fox. It brings in a very big audience. So if something works around the globe, yeah, let's try try it here. Are we doing original stuff? Not necessarily. N not at all. You know, we're copying, but that's our business. When something works, everybody wants it. And that's just how it works. Look at the show Tiger King. For Now, that's not, that's kind of a different kind of a show, but a Netflix comes up with Tiger King. And that was the hit show of the pandemic. All people talk, Tiger King, Tiger King. I watched it. It was bizarre. Uh, it was hard to watch. But now suddenly we have Nicolas Cage is going to be playing um, Joe Exotic. We have Kate McKinnon. She's going to be playing Carol Baskin in something. Investigation ID has a series now or coming up with a series. 
So this is a business of imitation. You know, we're not seeing, you know, and that's why Netflix stands out because Netflix does a lot of original stuff that they tap into an audience. For example, they have a scripted show coming up on Selena, the, you know, Latina singer who unfortunately was murdered a number of years ago, many years ago. I think that's going to generate a lot of interest. I think it's a very smart thing to do. And Netflix came up with it. They weren't copying. It wasn't, listen, it's not the first time that story was told, but I think it's a very smart thing to do. What I think is really clever, which I am so certain is going to be a huge hit for Netflix. They have a scripted show coming up called Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, focused on the Louise Fletcher character. What a smart idea. So I'm kind of going from non-scripted to scripted. So I'm, I'm yeah. kind of giving you a long-winded answer, but we're not exactly originators here. We copy a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have a success, we want one. So there you go. If you look at all the trends and the changes that have happened this year, pilot season, fall season, all the changing in the programming and the restructuring of companies to put SVOD at the center, what are the ones that are going to be temporary and what are the ones that are going to be permanent that go into, into 2021? Well, I don't think we're going to be seeing as many pilots anymore. Um, you know, once upon a time, there was so many pilots. You know, my, my I always sat back and said, instead of doing these pilots that never are really all that great, you know, because when you have a new show and you're introducing characters, if you have a concept, go to series. Get straight to order. Save money on the pilot. You know, and unfortunately, pilot season was completely on hold. It was disrupted, which is why you're not seeing a lot of new shows. And I'll mention, I'll give you a stat, Ed. We have the broadcast networks this fall have announced eight new shows, okay? Last year at this time, they had 17. And if you included midseason last year, there was like 37. This year, the 17 or something like that. So it's less than half now, which is a good thing because peak TV is finally peaked. So I think you're not going to be seeing as many pilots. I think, as I said earlier, Earlier, another trend that's going to stick is this going to the well and finding other productions to fill the airwaves. And it doesn't have to just be to fill the airwaves. You could find a really quality show that ran wherever and put it on here. The same way, you know, Netflix did with Unorthodox or however many other shows it does that with. So I think that's that's here to stay. And I think that's a very good thing. Um, I don't necessarily know if in the future a broadcast season is going to be 22 episodes anymore. The broadcasters at this point might decide let's cut back a little. We don't need as many episodes. They might do that because we've been seeing that little by little. And I also think one trend here that has always been very maddening, in my opinion, the third week of September is the start of the season. Why on earth do the broadcast networks have to introduce the majority of their new shows in one week? Why not spread it a little bit? I mean, why are you suddenly plopping 20 new shows on the air in one week? You know, so spread it out a little bit. So maybe that's something they'll consider also. So in this horrible pandemic, where we're all, where we've been quarantined, you know, everything changed and we're still not out of this yet. I think there are some positives that have come out of it from a broadcasting perspective. And again, um, I think the lesson to be learned is do what Netflix does. Find the right shows, whether you produce them yourself, whether you go to another country and put it on. And make it diversified and make it interesting. And stop with all these, you know, nonsense, you know, these cop shows, which thankfully are are gone. I don't think they're coming back. And stop with all the formulaic stuff and be a little more creative. And that's the way I see it. Mark Berman. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. But in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 